0: But most importantly, I hope the following episode inspires you to take the next step forward in your faith journey this week. Enjoy.
1: Well, uh, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, uh, I don't know if it was because uh, we didn't have enough money or it was because people didn't fly as much, but we didn't do a lot of airplanes when I was younger. We did a lot of road trips. And um, it, it was sort of became a, a, a tradition in our family. We did a lot of road tripping. And as a matter of fact, my family now, we love road trips. We do them all the time. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't my childhood, like that was a big part of my childhood. And when we would go places on vacation, sometimes we'd go really far places. And I don't know, if again, I don't know if my parents just didn't want to spend the money on like a hotel to stay in between. I don't know if any of you experienced, we just would drive all night, all the way through the night to get where we were going. We'd drive all the way down the East Coast. And um, this was in the days, by the way, um, there weren't car seats or, you know, nobody wore seat belts. And, and like, as a matter of fact, um, my two siblings and I were, were telling some stories recently about how when we went on a trip, we had a Chevrolet Monte Carlo, not the Super Sport. Like, it wasn't that cool. It was just a, the two-door and uh, they had a front and back seat. The back seat was pretty small and we on a road trip. The three of us are on the back seat and you drive all night, it's not comfortable. So we would stack some of the stuff out of the trunk, like some of our luggage in the, the floorboards, you know what I'm talking about, on either side of the hump. Remember that? There's a hump in the middle and and then either side of the floorboards, and, um, and we would, one of us would lay across that, like on the, on the floorboards, and then another one would lay a- on the, the actual seat, and then the third one would just get in the back window, and you lay in the back window, anybody remember this? And we just drive down the road 60 miles an hour where we're going mostly on two-lane roads. And, and um, that was before we got the station wagon. And it had the, the third row that sat backwards, which was fun until it felt like a ride at Six Flags and you're all sick and people are throwing up. So what we would do is we would lay down all the seats in the station wagon. If you missed out on this, like, this was a great childhood. You can't do this today. You get arrested and pulled over. But like, we would lay down all the seats, and literally it was like a playroom in the back. My brother and I would wrestle. We would play games. And like, me and my brother and my sister, as we drove down the road, we go on these long road trips. Well, my dad, who I, I told an honoring story last week about his eternal perspective uh, that hopefully was inspiring to you as it's inspired me, but he had another side uh, by the way. And um, he really liked games and competition, and he sort of liked to live on the edge. And, and uh, on these road trips, late at night, you know, it, you know, people weren't sleeping, and we'd get bored. And so my dad came up, he invented a game, and it was called steering competitions. And um, me, my brother, and my sister would take turns. I mean, I think I was seven or eight when we first started doing it. My sister was probably four, my brother's nine. We would literally take turns climbing on my dad's lap in the front seat, and we would steer the car, as we drove down the road at 60 miles an hour, again, don't, don't get any ideas. You can't do this today. You'll, you'll go to jail. But we would steer the car. Each of us, we'd take turns. You get about five minutes, and you steer the car for about five minutes. And, and you, if you hit the little reflectors that are on one side of the road, which we did often by way, the way, it tells you what, how safe this was to do. But we, if you hit the, the reflectors, you get a demerit. Like, that's the, how you keep the score. You get a demerit. And so you would count the demerits. And you better believe each of us were counting each other's demerits to make sure, because it was a big competition. And I, I'm pretty sure my dad would cheat, and because there's no way my sister, who's four, wins every time. Like, that's not even possible. But, you know, so we would we would stare, and I, would, I was terrible at it. I would always hit these things. I remember my dad telling me, look, stop looking at the reflectors. You know, stop looking at the lines. If you look at those things, that's what you're going to hit. That's what you're going to run into. He said, "Don't look at those things. Look way ahead, look way down to the center of the road. And, and then you'll sort of stay in the middle. You'll stay in between the lines. And I took two things away from that experience. One, my dad was absolutely insane. He was supposed to be the adult in this, you know And it's like, but I learned to drive. That was maybe a, a, a part 1B. But the second thing was is that we move toward what we focus on. You know this. We move towards what we focus on. And that's where we left off last week. We began a series on heaven. And one of the things we said is that we live toward in our lives. We live toward what we look forward to in life. And one of the challenges when it comes to heaven is often, for many of us, it's, it's not that we don't think often enough about heaven it's that we don't think highly enough about heaven. Our picture of heaven isn't inspiring and compelling enough to draw us and lead us toward and impact our life enough to cause us to want to live towards the realities of heaven. And so that's one of the main things I really have as an aim in this series It's to help us understand how our picture of heaven and how we look forward to heaven impacts our lives on earth. If you weren't here with us last week, uh, Jesus talked a lot about heaven, but he talked about heaven in at least three different ways, three different realities of heaven. We looked at three conversations that he had. If you weren't here, the, you can get that, that uh, you can watch that message online. But he, in terms of the realities of heaven, he talked about heaven as being now in another place, that's the present heaven. Uh, he talked about heaven being here at another time, that's the future eternal heaven. And then he talked about how we can experience um, heaven here and now in another way. And that's how we sort of participate in heaven now on earth. Um, Jesus, uh, as we said, was speaking in terms, though, that we don't really think of life in. We think of life and then death and, or life and then the afterlife or this life and the next life. And they thought way more in terms of, of the community and of, of ages of time. And when they thought, thought about time, they did, it just wasn't confined to their life. They were... Um, tradition and history and connected to their ancestors was really, really important. And they were taught about and thought about time. In fact, the Old Testament prophets, Jesus, and the New Testament writers all talked about time in terms of this age and the age to come. This age and in this age, there's a present heaven and there's a present earth that are separated. And then they taught that in the future age, in the, in the age to come, that this heaven that, that, was, that was there, there's going to be a, a recreate, a new heaven and a new earth that are going to come together, and it actually will be here on earth. And we're going to spend all of our time talking about that next week, uh, about the, the age to come. Today, I want to talk about this age. Now, here's the thing about this age. When we're talking about this age and the age to come, In this age, there is a present heaven, and we poked some fun at this uh, last week. Last week, we said that, um, you know, our picture of the uh, the present heaven is, I'll just say, suspect at best. Uh, we think about heaven, we think about clouds, and we think about gates, and we think about stairways, and I, I don't know what your other thoughts are, maybe, maybe bright lights, but we talked about some of these things and the mansions and things last week, and we just talked about how, you know, that's not even the, the real picture of what we're talking about when we, talk, when we think about heaven. But there's also a present earth. And when we think about the present earth, um, and I'll just, I'll give you a picture of where you are on earth real quick. Um, you and I are sort of like in here somewhere. Does that look right? We're about right there. And um, uh, so so there, there's a present earth and there's a relationship between heaven and earth. But the, the, the scriptures talk about there, there's a realm that's seen and there's a realm that's unseen and what we see in the earth and the physical world that's all the seen realm and this is going to become important there's the seen realm and then there's the unseen realm but there's another part to the unseen realm and i'm just about to make some people really really nervous but it's going to be okay i promise so there there's this other unseen realm down here and it's not just heaven there's a there's another reality that's talked about in terms of hell and, and we're going to get to that in a few minutes today, probably not the way you think. And if you brought a friend for the first time, it's going to be okay, I, I promise. Um, but I want to start with the present heaven. Um, and then we're not going to major on it because there's a lot of overlap between what we're going to experience in the present heaven and in the future eternal heaven. Because next week when we talk about that, I'm going to really unpack uh, several scriptures that really talk about what our experience will be like, what we can look forward to. And we are kind of save that for the end because it's sort of really the finale of, of what we really look forward to in the realities of heaven. But, but today, as we're talking about this, um, as, we're, as we're talking about uh, heaven, um, I, 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 have to say, uh, last week when I was talking to somebody, I said, hey, next week we're going to talk about, you know, what happens when you die. And after the service, somebody said, man, I really commend you for talking about the heaven, you know, because this is a difficult topic to talk about. And I was like, I was thinking they were thinking like, cause there's a lot of like disagreement or whatever. And, and they're like, no, no, I just think it's a, it seems a little early in the day to be reminding people that they're going to die. And I was like, this was supposed to be encouraging, right? Like, but, but, um we are going to die. And the reality is, is is the scriptures say that those people who believe in Jesus, they're going to go to a present heaven. And we get a glimpse uh, in Revelation. John gives us one of the best glimpses of heaven that we can get. And it, it, you're going to read it. it, it You've got to think of his context. And John's context is that he's uh, really mourning the loss of his friends. This is late in his life. And many of it, he was one of Jesus' closest followers, but his friends, the other followers of Jesus, many of them uh, had given their life for the message of Jesus. They became martyrs um, for what they believed. And and uh, really, a lot of people believe this is what really caused the message of Jesus to explode and ultimately overtake the Roman Empire. But they, they had such conviction. And John's dealing with the difficulty of, this isn't right. You know, we're trying to follow you, God. And we're trying to, I'm trying to live my life for this. And I'm later in life, and I'm wondering about all this. And when are you gonna return? And and so so God gives John a vision of heaven in Revelation 6. And it's sort of a peek into heaven. And remember, this is through the lens of his struggles and the people who've lost and the people who've suffered, and he's contemplating his own life. And, and John's given this glimpse, and I don't know if he was asleep, I don't know if he was awake, but, but God gave him this picture of heaven, and he wrote it down. And one of the things he said in that was, he, in Revelation 6, beginning verse 9, he says this, he said, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. So these were these his friends that, and, and others who had, because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained, they had become slain. They, they, they were killed for their faith. And these souls, they called out in a loud voice. And what they said was, how long, sovereign Lord? holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood, basically how long, hey, this, this was wrong, what was done to us. And so there's even, you can tell there's even some learning in this. It's like, how do we deal with that? And, and when, are you gonna, when are you gonna do something about this? Because there's others that are still suffering. And, and John's, you know, again, as he's in this vision, this is, his, this is his plight in life. And, and then uh, each of them was given a white robe that kind of went over them. And they were told, They were told to wait a little longer. So so God clothes them. And he says, Hey, it's gonna be okay. I'm clothing you um, in my righteousness. I want you to know I accept you, but I also want you to know you need to wait a little longer. I'm gonna be patient because my desire is that none would perish. I'm gonna I'm gonna be patient a little longer, and, and I'm even gonna wait until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, Uh, were killed just as they had been. There are other, this is the way, this is the the, the vision, imagine this, John gets his vision, and and basically God's saying to him, he's given this vision of heaven, and these souls are talking, and God responds to him, he says, look, there's more that's gonna have to be sacrificed, unfortunately. I mean, we've talked about this before, this is the way of Jesus. It it, it involves sacrifice in this life, but what we sacrifice for what we have coming for us, this is the picture. What you have ahead of you in the grand scheme, eventually, you're going to realize it was really small. The, The sacrifice was really small in comparison to eternity. It's like the $100 in comparison to having an unlimited amount of money. It's like, it's just, it's not that big a sacrifice. And John acknowledges in this, there's at least three things to look forward to. And again, this is just partial in comparison to what we're going to look at next week. But he said, look, you're going to go to a physical place. And the, the evidence, he he, say he saw souls, and there was an altar, there were loud voices, which, which shows vocal cords, and, and there's these white roads. So you're going to go to a physical place, if you want to know what you can expect. And, and in this physical place, um, it, it's not that, uh, a lot of people believe that physical is opposed to spiritual, because physical is bad, and so we're going to be removed from our bodies because physical is bad, and we're going to, you know, heaven's only spiritual, but the scriptures don't teach that. It, it, and, and if you think about it, physical and spiritual can't be opposed to each other. This is a very new age thought, by the way. Um, it, they can't be fo- opposed to each other because if that were true, then God couldn't have inhabited a body in Jesus. He, he, God, who was holy, took on a physical body. And then that body was raised from the dead and he ascended to heaven. So we know there's at least one body uh, in heaven. And so, so there, there's going to be a physical place we go to. And we're going to have certain knowledge in this place. Um, you know, he he said that he saw people who were slain for their testimony. And he asked questions. He was going to gain knowledge. How long until you're going to judge? How long until the age to come is what he was asking. We're in this age and there's this struggle between the present heaven and the present earth. There's these competing values. And on earth, there's sort of this struggle. And how long is that going to go on until the age to come? And he inquired about things on earth. So you, you find they don't, they don't know everything. They're asking questions and they're aware of things that are happening on earth. And some of that is because they're talking with God. But as you imagine, I mean, I mean, I think practically about these things. I mean, you imagine you're in heaven. It's like there's thousands of people coming into heaven every day from earth. And they've got all sorts of information. If they're remembering about what happened on earth, they have information that they're bringing into heaven. And we know we have to remember because we're going to give an account one day. You have to be able to remember what you did to be able to give an account uh, for your life on earth. So, so there's going to be knowledge. And then we're going to be participating in the present heaven. And amongst, we're going to talk about this next week, but amongst other things, um, one of the things we're going to be doing is cheering people on. We actually learned that in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be cheering on people on earth. There's other people, you know this right now, that are cheering you and me on. Like they're interceding for us and they're cheering us on. They're watching and they're, they're going, you know, keep going, be faithful. You know, stay away from the, 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 the stuff that's going to lead you in the wrong direction in life. They're waiting and they're anticipating. And it it talks about their brothers and sisters. They're enjoying family that they're reconnected with. There's a very strong familial connection and, and description in the scriptures of what we'll experience in heaven. So if we take this and we combine it with other things uh, that the scriptures talk about, about the present heaven, here's a summary of what we have to look forward to. We, we, we look forward to a separation of our body and soul, which for some of us you're going, you're going well, I like my body. I think my body's pretty good. Well, the, most of us, as we're aging, by the way, we're going, I really would like a new body. I could take a new body. I mean, somebody saved me from this body. So that's a, I mean, that's something to look forward to. The separation of body and soul, it says in, 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 the, in the, the future heaven, we're gonna get a new body. Again, preview of next week. But there's a separation from body and soul when you die. And there's a relocation of that soul to heaven, to the physical place of heaven. There's a, this, is, this is so important. There's a liberation of that soul from sin and from the brokenness of the world, the oppression of this world, any physical struggle. We, we, we we're able to be... Uh, freed of that we no longer deal with temptation we no longer deal with the brokenness and the hurt and the depression and the anxiety and the the anger and all of those things that, that just plague us on the inside we're liberated from those things and then there's a reconnection with loved ones and and that reunion of i've i've missed this person for so long and it's actually something you have really to look forward to uh you know, as you move from this life to the next. And then, this may be the most important one, there's a satisfaction in God's presence that you and I, we're gonna find fulfillment and final satisfaction for all the longings on the inside. And so, as we're struggling physically and we're wrestling spiritually and we're longing internally. This is what's ahead of us. This is, this is what you experience. And there's, there's so much more. Don't miss next week. There's so much more in the future, eternal heaven. But the truth is, is um, this is not something to be feared. It's why in the New Testament, uh, they, they talked about um, death in terms of sleep. You know this, right? I don't know if you know this. In the New Testament, um, and, and the first century followers, they didn't really think of death as like, a, a, like an ending to something. Except for all the things that were bad. And It's like, hey, I'm going to go to sleep and I'm going to wake up. And when I wake up, I'm going to be in this, this place where I've experienced a liberation and a reconnection with people and this satisfaction in God. Now, with all that in mind, and, and, and so much more in the future heaven, but just, just with that in mind, I want to take us back last week. I, we stopped uh, part way through Paul's thought. We just got the first part of what he was saying in Colossians chapter 3. And this is where he began. He said, if you were here, you remember this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, you've been given a new life with Christ. Because you've given a new life, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. I want you to, you've been given this new life and this new life is is not just for this life and it's not just for this world and it's not just for this age. You've been given your life, you've been raised to a newness of life that will never die, your soul will never die. You will experience everlasting life, which is both a fullness of life and it's a length of life. That's what you've been given, that's what you've been raised to. So here's what he says, think about, Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, you died to this world, you died to this age, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. I think in some ways, like if and I, 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 I imaginary. I'm, I'm a preacher, so I do this a lot. Imaginary, I have imaginary conversations between some of these these. Uh, saints of old. And like, I imagine this is what Paul would be saying to John. John's like, John's like, well, when, what's going to happen? And there's all this suffering and what I'm dealing with. And, and I think Paul's like, dude, you died to this life. Remember? Like we've, who cares if you die? Who cares if your sacrifice? We don't have to worry about that. You don't have to be fearful of that. Like, this is just like, this is not the life we have to look forward to. There's so much more. You, you've been promised a new life. And You need to think about that life and the realities of heaven because you're gonna be raised. Because when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. In the age to come, when Christ comes back and he he connects the new heaven and the new earth, you're gonna share in all the glory and the goodness of that reality of heaven. So set your sights on the realities of heaven and you'll Begin living in that direction, as we talked about last week. And then, this is the best part. Paul goes on to unpack how we experience those things. How we experience heaven, even begin to get a taste of heaven now on earth. He says this, he says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Put to death the the sinful earthly nature that's on the inside of you. And you need to fasten your seatbelt at this point because this is not a road trip with my dad. This is going to get bumpy for a second. He gets intensely personal. And this will be uncomfortable, I promise you. He says this. He says, have nothing to do with sexual immorality or impurity, uh, uh, lust, and evil desires. When you look, and you look again, and you look at what you shouldn't, and you hook up with someone you shouldn't. And you set your sights on things that you shouldn't. You set your sights. You aim way too low. You aim at earthly things. You aim at earthly things that are affected by the forces of brokenness and the forces of darkness. You, you settle. Here's what you do. You settle for a distorted, perverted, counterfeit version of, of what you truly desire, the true intimacy that you're after, the true intimacy that God designed you for. He's given you instruction about how to experience that. And and it comes through monogamy and fidelity and purity. And somebody's going, I thought this was a series on heaven. Like, what is this? Somebody just logged on. So we are talking about heaven. This is about how you experience heaven on earth. He he says, look, that's gonna bring all sorts of brokenness in your life you you got to get rid of that stuff. you gotta, you got to stay away from that stuff. Not only that, don't be greedy. <clears throat> don't be greedy for a greedy person. They're an idolater. And a, they're, they're worshiping the things of this world. It's funny. Nobody thinks they're greedy. You know, you know how that is? It's like it, nobody really thinks. It's like, no, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a generous person. You know, I give. I help other people. I, I, don't, I don't live for money. No one thinks they're greedy. But it's interesting. He puts this in the context of worship. And there's a reason, by the way, that they call it the Almighty dollar or the Almighty American dollar. And the reason is, is because many of us put our hope in it. We put our trust in it. We find our worth in it. We spend our lives working for it. Some of us are enslaved to it because we need more of it to pay off the debts that we've created for ourselves. The scriptures actually say that the borrower's slave to the lender. So we're indebted to it. And oftentimes it becomes our hope and it becomes our happiness. We depend on it. That's worship. That's serving something. C.S. Lewis said this way. he He said, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he's finding his place in it while really it is finding its place in him. The pursuit of prosperity actually knits us to this world. And and Paul says, look, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. You were focused on pursuing pleasure at whatever cost. It didn't matter. You wanted to experience pleasure in life and you want to experience prosperity in life. I mean, that's what you used to do when you were still living for this world and living for this life. But now, now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior and slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. These are a lot of these things, are things we do to gain and maintain power in life. And so here, here's what he's saying. He's, look, you have this, you, this is you, by the way. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you like you or not, or you like my drawing of you. Drawing people's not my best uh, thing, so I don't, I don't try real hard at that. But there, you have... Whether you know this or not, on the inside of you, as long as you live in this world, you have a sinful nature that you're going to struggle with. And that sinful nature is going to cause you, at all costs, to want to pursue pleasure and prosperity and power. Because it's the, the promise of those things. This is going to satisfy you. You're going to feel better. If you if you pursue these things, this is what you really want. This is really what you should be after. This is what you should be pursuing because this is going to satisfy and fulfill you. The Apostle Paul's going, look, these things that you're chasing after in this life, they've been promised to you already. It's your reality in heaven. The, the, the final satisfaction that you're going to experience in paradise in heaven what awaits you. You don't have to clamor for that now. Now you're gonna experience some sacrifice and you're gonna see other people that you think are getting ahead or they're getting away with or, or they're experiencing a better life than you. But here's what you need to know that these, these things, they, they can bring out all sorts of problems in your life. These, this sinful nature leads you to be focused on these things and it leads towards brokenness and death and destruction. Then in contrast, he he says, after after talking about that, in contrast, he, he says, look, instead, put on your new nature. And, and be renewed as you learn to know your creator, as you learn to know who God is and, and what God says and what God wants for you and how he instructs you to lead your life. As you get to know your creator, you'll become like him. As you take on this new nature, you live into this new nature. He's made it possible for you to do this now that you have this new life. Which it's interesting when he talks about becoming like their creator. We don't read it this way. But in the Hebrew mindset, that idea of becoming like God would have sent them back to the garden story. Some of you know I love that story. Genesis 3 is one of my favorite stories because it's like the story of life. It's the story of all of our lives. And they were trying to become like God. They were really trying to become the God of their own lives. But they were doing it in an illegitimate way. They were trying to get out from under the authority of God. And the truth is, is that's not what the apostle Paul's talking about. He's going, look, as you take on your new nature, you put on your new nature... God's gonna renew you. As you come to know him and you come to follow him, you're gonna become like him. You're gonna begin to resemble your father in heaven as a part of his family. It's it's sort of this full circle restoration. It's a legitimate path to be like God. He goes on, he says, look, here's how you do that. You make allowance for each other's faults. There's a novel idea. Somebody has a fault, you make space for it because we all make faults. That's, that sounds like a good idea. And this is, then he just takes the bar and raises it way high. And forgive anyone, anyone who offends you. Wait, 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 anyone? I mean, if for any reason, forgive anyone. Well, what about the person, forgive anyone? I mean, who, who doesn't fit in the category of anyone? He says, forgive everyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. And he freed you, so you must forgive other people. Which I'll just say in our day and age today, that would create a a massive anti-cancel culture, wouldn't it? I I mean, when you talk about making room for other people's faults and forgiving anyone, that's the exact opposite of the cancel culture in our world. It's an anti-cancel culture. In fact, it's an ultra-grace culture. Imagine if there were a group of people, maybe a group of people this size, who just decided in the world we're going to live an ultra grace culture and we're going to make room for people's faults and we're going to forgive people because of the way we've been forgiven. And he goes on, he says, above all, uh, clothe yourselves with love. What if we decided to clothe ourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony? We were united in this love and this grace that we're pouring out to people in our world and we let the peace that comes from Christ to rule in our hearts. He basically, this is what Paul's saying. There's a, there's an opposing force, and and it's 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 a new nature. It's this new nature that you've been freed to in Christ that you've given been given in this life, and and this new nature above all else he says is love, and it, it's it, it's a culture creates a culture of radical radical grace, and and it's it's a culture that sets its mind and its focus on peace and not conflict around unity and bringing people together. And this new nature sets its sights on those types of things, and that actually points towards the realities of heaven because that's that's sort of the, the order of heaven. When Jesus says here, when he says, or when the apostle Paul says, let the peace that comes from Christ to rule in your hearts, that word rule is governance language. This is about who governs what in your life. It's, it's about a rule of life. The question is, like, what's ruling? What's governing your life? What's, there's two forces. There's, there's the new nature and there's the sinful nature. And these two forces, Paul says this somewhere else in Galatians chapter 5, if you want to look up later, these two forces are fighting each other for the rule of your life. They are currently... Working on you, and they're opposed to each other, but they're working on you, trying to influence you. This is where we get, by the way, you know, these, this cultural concept of you have an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other shoulder, and you, you know, everybody can kind of relate to that. This is why. This is why. There's two forces in the unseen world, and some people get uncomfortable when you talk about things like this, but there's the seen world and there's the unseen world. This is what the scripture talks about. And in the unseen world, there's two forces that are battling, and you're in the middle of the unseen world. And the sinful nature, it's trying trying to get you to to self-govern your life. And that sort of self-governance, moving out from God's governance in your life, going, I'm going to do what feels right for me. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what I think satisfies me. I'm going to pursue what I want. It causes you to pursue certain things in life. And it leads to chaos chaos and death and destruction in our lives. And then he said, there's a new nature though that in Christ you can lean into and you can pursue life, love and grace and peace. You pursue a different set of things and, and it comes by surrendering control of your life. Putting on this new nature is, is not about taking control and gaining control and ruling your own life. It's about going, I, I'm, I'm surrendering my life. This isn't even my life. I've been given a new life. And I'm going to surrender this life that I have in this present age. And I'm going to allow God to renew and restore and redeem what he can so that I can experience and I can bring down some of the realities of heaven into this world. Do you know that you and I make these choices every day? This is how this works. You and I make choices every day. And every day, you and I make choices that either bring the order of heaven down into our lives or it pulls the chaos and brokenness of hell up into our lives. Everything is spiritual. The decisions you make about your sexuality, the decisions you make about your finances, the decisions you make about your careers, and your relationships, and the stories you're going to tell, and the excuses you're going to make, and the things you're going to prioritize, and how you're gonna spend your time and your money, all those things are spiritual and you make decisions every day and you either make decisions that are governed by the rule and the authority of heaven and when you do that, you actually bring down the goodness and the order and and the, the grace and the mercy and the peace of God into your life and other people's lives or we make decisions that brings the chaos and the brokenness and the destruction of hell up into our lives. Now, I just wanna say this real quick. It's a quick caveat. Like if you're here today and, and you, don't, you, you believe that all there is to life is this life, I understand that. And, and if that's you, I'll just say this. If you think your one shot to experience all your deepest longings in your heart it, is this life, have at it, I'm serious. You should just go for it. Because if, if there's not really a reality that you can look forward to, that you can put your hope in, that's something that you go, it doesn't really matter what happens in this life. I have an eternal life. I have a life on the other side of this life that, that this life cannot ever even compete with. Sacrificing 100 for an unlimited amount is, is not a big deal. But if you're somebody who's going, I don't, I'm not so sure I can put my hope in that. I, I want to get as much as I can out of this life. Have at it. But I just wanna, I want you to beware that you're in danger of pulling all sorts of hell up into your life and brokenness up into your life. And you don't have to take my word for it. You just ask some people. If you need some references, I, I, can, I can put you in touch with some people. Just ask some people who've set their sights for a very long time on satisfying themselves with sexual pleasure or satisfying themselves with accruing wealth, or satisfying themselves with chasing power as their chief end. And they didn't realize it, but for a really long time, that's what they chased. Just see what type of chaos and difficulty and destruction they've brought up into their lives. You don't have to take my word for it. You know somebody. You've watched people. There's people around you. It's not that that they're wealthy that's that's the problem. That's not the problem. It's not that people experience things that are pleasurable in this world that that's the, the problem. That's not the problem. It's not that people have power, influence. That's not the problem. It's when that becomes the chief end, and that's what you set your sights on, and that's what you put your hope in. The Apostle Paul says this. He says what you set your sights on, what we set our sights on is the ruler of our lives. So he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven and what's ahead of you. Because living under the authority and the governance of heaven in God's created order, it brings the goodness and glory and and well-being and meaning and purpose. It brings it into this life in in part, and not in fullness, but it, it gives us a taste and not just for you, but people around you. But when you choose to try to live outside underneath that governance and you you lean into your sinful nature, you choose your own authority. We pull the chaos of and brokenness of hell up into our lives. And, and and this is what you need to know. You know, as we talked about last week, what you look forward to, you live toward and you experience more in your life. And when you look forward to these things, and you you experience not what not what this is promising. You experience the consequences of that. And this is, the Apostle Paul is going, don't do that. It's bad for you. But here's what you need to know. It's, it's not just bad for you. It impacts way more than just you. Way more. The way we live our lives is a billboard. It, 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 it's a billboard for the ultimate hope that we have as Christians, you know, as we live in our world and our city, and we've, as we live in front of the next generation, what do they think we've placed our hope in? What do they see us chasing? What do they think is most important in our lives? We were asking the question, people around us, is it any different than anybody else in the world? See, many of us aren't looking forward to the realities of heaven and what's been promised to us way more than we are the things of this world. We're looking more forward to the promotion or a vacation or retirement in such a way that we don't actually put the realities of heaven on display for people in front of us going, you know, I I can make this sacrifice. I can do this because let me tell you what I have coming in front of me. Let Let me tell you the hope that I have in front of me. I have a friend that does this for me often. His name's Kyle, Kyle Peace. Some of you may know Kyle Peace. Kyle is, uh, we got claps for Kyle Peace. I love that. Kyle, um, Kyle, uh, Kyle suffers from cerebral palsy and um, he, he has his whole life and Kyle uh, is an extraordinary person. And even though he suffers from a disability, uh, Kyle does a lot of extraordinary things. He's done several triathlons, and this is him at the Boston Marathon. Uh, he's done Ironman triathlons. This guy uh, runs a couple businesses. He has a nonprofit. Um, he's very involved here at Buckhead Church. In fact, I'm talking with him right now about, he has this vision for, for wanting to, to create a ministry to, for families that, with kids with disabilities because he's been able to experience and accomplish so much in his life. He wants to give younger kids a, a, a greater picture to shoot for in life. And, and Kyle is incredibly inspiring to me. and um, He's of huge personal encouragement to me. And when he heard that I was beginning a series on heaven, he sent me a text message. Kyle sees the world differently than we do in a really great way, by the way. And this was his text to me. He said, um, I can't wait to hear and see this series. Even though I believe God has way more in store for me in this life, if I were to die tonight, I would be a happy man because God would have turned all of my disabilities into abilities. Listen, when, when you're struggling in this life with difficulty, physically, emotionally, spiritually, internally not experiencing what you want. I mean, I say Kyle, he, he may have a disability, but he has a massive advantage over most of us. He, he, for me, one of the things that text did for me was to go, you know what, I, I need to learn from you. You have a far keener sense of our inability to experience the ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction of, In this life, that our sinful nature is telling us that we can. You have a far greater appreciation for what we're going to experience in heaven, such that you're not only anticipating and appreciating, you're fixated on what is to come. Let's tell you, that's an insane example of what the apostle Paul is talking about. If we could see how much we have disabilities in this life to experience what God meant for us to experience. I mean, as good as life gets, it's 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 a mere shadow of what's to come. But those shadows are important. You see, when things are difficult, it's because you wonder, well, why wouldn't God? A guy like Kyle is hurt. Why wouldn't God just heal him? Here, here's what Randy Alcorn said in his book on heaven. He said, God uses suffering and impending death to unfasten us from this earth and to set our minds on what lies ahead. So, the next time you experience a difficulty, you find yourself struggling physically, wrestling spiritually, you, you find yourself longing internally for something This is really possible. Set your sights on what is to come. See. Paul and Jesus both taught that we could experience parts of heaven on earth now. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The apostle Paul is telling us, aim higher. Aim for something greater. Play the long play. Because what you look forward to, what you're striving toward, is what you're living toward. And it's what you're gonna experience more in this life and the life to come. You see, like Kyle, the Apostle Paul was confident that he would rather be away from his earthly body and at home and present with the Lord. In fact, when he summed up this age, he said this. He said, for me, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. I want to look like him. I want to resemble him. I want to point people toward him. He is my life. He holds my life. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oh, that's just for the super spiritual people. No, that's just for the professional Christians. I expect the preacher to say that. If people don't see hope in the reality of heaven in our lives, where will they see it? If people don't see there's something greater and worth living for in our lives because of the way we live our lives and what we're experiencing, and they don't experience grace and love and peace from us, they just see us pursuing the pleasures and prosperity and power of this life just like everybody else. What are we pointing them toward? Where is our hope really? You don't really fear death. sad. I wouldn't want to leave my family, but I know what I have to look forward to. I look forward to reconnecting with my dad one day. I look forward to a renewed body. I look forward to fully and finally being satisfied, all the things I struggle with and the things that I try to wrestle and pursue, uh, work through so that I'm not, I'm not pursuing things and bringing hell and chaos into my life and my family. But I'll tell you what I fear, But I fear most. I fear getting to the other side of heaven and running to somebody I knew and them saying to me, wait, wait, you knew this is how it was gonna end? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you point me in that direction? Why didn't you share with me? Why didn't you live in such a way that you could help me? There's people like that in your life. And if not you, who? See, this matters. Heaven matters now. you got to figure out what you believe about heaven because you have so much to look forward to. And when you fix your mind and your heart and your life on your view of heaven, it changes the way you live on life. And it will not only impact your life, it'll impact the lives of people all around you. Let me pray for you. God, I pray today you'd start something brand new in this community, in our hearts, and people in this room. The the network of relationships is staggering. The number of people that could be influenced if, if a few of us just caught a vision for what it was to live for what is to come to fix our minds on what is to come, to live in the new nature that you've given us, to live our lives under your rule and not trying to escape and live out from underneath it. I pray you give somebody the courage today to just face the reality of where they are and what they're pursuing and what they're chasing. I pray that you would liberate them from guilt around any wealth that they might have or power that they might have or, or pleasure that they might experience in this life. That's not the point, but that the radical pursuit of that and finding their hope in that, that that's what leads to destruction and it not only leads to our destruction, but for people around us. I pray that you would cause us as a community to be a bright light in this city and around the world. And I pray it in Jesus' name.